12 minutes it is after 7 p.m. Welcome to Metro FM Talk here on the My Team Metro. And uh, yeah, we kick things off uh, taking a look at the world of money and power. Bandila Matandela, market analyst, is my guest this evening. Mdaka Matandela, Maskwam Gael. Yeah, man, bullies are here. Gunja, I'm sorry. Gapilega, man, kaba wakondo. Gunja, I'm going. Bandile, are you mm. back at the office? Yes. So you you are back. You are you are not, uh, I guess, part of the uh, statistic of many others who, you know, might not even have to go back to the office uh, if uh, just the downsizing of office space by many big players is anything to go by. It's certainly having an impact on uh, the likes of Growth Point, uh, who are a diversified player in the space, and uh, yeah, nearly a fifth of uh, all of their office space empty mm. and uh, yeah, seemingly mm-hmm. not recovering, I guess, from uh, the working from home phenomenon. Yeah, it's certainly one we set to follow quite closely, but I'm also quite interested, I guess, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bandile, in this notion that there's an oversupply, especially of office uh, uh, type of property in South Africa. Um, I mean, uh, what are some of the options uh, that are open to you if you're a big player like this uh, and there's no prospect in some of your properties or in some of your assets that you, you're ever going to have a full tenant mix again? Uh, what do you do with some of this property? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's probably going to be a time where um, property developers are going to need to try and be creative in a way. I think for me, first and foremost, uh, you know, it's, it's potentially maybe repurposing some of these um, properties for residential properties. I know uh, APSA has been doing some of that um, downtown uh, at Bank City where some of the what were, or, 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 uh, commercial properties are now residential properties. Perhaps there's an opportunity to do that. Um, I mean, it would be interesting to see what... Mm. Uh, and, and I guess on the industrial part of things, I mean, you know, when you look at some of the manufacturing numbers, mm. uh, which indicate, you know, massive excess capacity, uh, we might also find that some manufacturers or even warehouses are starting to think a bit differently about their property needs as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, I, uh, you know, that, that's going to be huge. Uh, considerations one but i think i mean if you, if, you, if you look at the property i mean the other day we're just looking at numbers from uh, storage seems like the the, the storage um uh, property space though is uh, is growing you know so maybe there's opportunities to 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 look uh, into that um for, for for some of these property developers yeah yeah it's always one of those stories i guess um that make one wonder uh whether or not you know this is the potentially the space uh, that many people should be playing in. Let's talk maybe just about leisure property as well. I mean, we know these guys at Growth Point also own the VNA waterfront alongside the PIC. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've seen, I guess, uh, a share of VNA's distributable income dropping by 40% in the 12 months ending, uh, you know, uh, 30 June 2021. Uh, and this largely on the back of uh, international tourists who often frequent that part of the world uh, coming in in very, very short supply, if at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly makes makes sense for a, a property like VNA, right? Looking at the location, I mean, Cape Town, that economy is is, is largely kept alive by by, by tourists, um, and I, mean, I think with the lockdowns uh, and um, the restrictions uh, put uh, specifically on South Africa, um, this was you know bound to affect a lot of the the, the tourism industry, and I think what what for VNA is also just. And not exempt from that, you know. So hopefully, you know, we we, we do know that um, um, business leadership essay has returned to to to, to the UK um, to ask them to remove South Africa from the red list. Hopefully, that will be something that will be heard, and, and um, hopefully, more tourists begin to come to South Africa. But definitely, one that 
is not surprising on my end, just considering the fact that Cape Town uh, is frequented so much by international visitors and tourists. Mm, mm. Yeah, let's shift our attention, I guess, to a global consulting group. It seems, uh, yeah, Bain and Company uh, has been, uh, yeah, after the mea culpa or the apologies and uh, paying uh, back uh, some of the money they'd received uh, from SARS, is back in the fold of BLSA. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I find this particular story very, very interesting uh, because it does show, I guess, you know, they've uh, made bygones to be bygones. Uh, and I'm still none the wiser as to the full story of what actually happened there. Yeah, it's, uh, also the timing is interesting, right? As the State Capture Commission comes to an end mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it seems like um, we, uh, is this signaling that South Africa is ready to put that behind them? Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, interesting story. I mean, I think for me, the odd one is the fact that, you know, we still haven't really gotten full disclosure and understanding what exactly happened. You know, for me, that's the only missing part. But um, we have um, received, uh, well, the BA Business Leadership South Africa has stated that they did uh, conduct uh, their own um, investigation. And based on that and looking at some of the remedies put in place, which include, you know, firing of them, some of the, the directors that were involved, repayment of the, of that amount that um, they, they, they're happy with um, the actions taken and the steps taken by pay and they seem to be back in the fold. Uh, we do understand that a lot of uh, companies have already started taking them on as service providers. So it looks like, uh, as you say, you know, sometimes uh, it does happen in that way that um, we let bygones be bygones. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there's, there's that's always contingent on a full disclosure. Uh, Bandile and yeah. I mean I don't know and, and I think this is the issue that also came out in the testimony of Athol Williams you know who was one of the uh, former consultants out at Bain uh, and uh, who was one of the whistleblowers here that uh, you know he, he certainly feels that we don't have the full picture here we don't have the full story um, but I guess also there's the other questions of what is some of the other remedial actions that they've undertaken to show uh, one, the uh, I guess remorse on this particular issue, but also secondly, to safeguard this happening again. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting to see, you know, that that re- that report from the investigation um, done by law firm Baker McKenzie to see what what was actually found there, you know, or at least get uh, comments from them in terms of uh, whether they satisfied that they received full disclosure and they were able to get access to everything that they wanted to get access to. But I, I mean, I take your point, and I think it's very valid, you know, um, uh, bygones, letting bygones be bygones should be contingent uh, definitely on, on full disclosure, especially uh, on, on, on such serious matters, you know. Uh, but it seems like, you know, Business Leaders um, SA, which is, is this organization that um, sort of oversees um, the, the, the listed companies, seem happy with the remedial actions that have been taken uh, by Bain. And uh, also looking at the fact that other organizations are already taking them as service providers, you know, sort of gives us the message that um, they seem like they're happy with the measures that have been put in place um, to, to, to be able to remedy the situation. Yeah, it's an interesting story there. Uh, yeah, of, uh, I guess, you know, how people can redeem themselves. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, as you say, the timing is quite interesting. I mean, we haven't seen the publication of the report uh, of the State Capture Commission of Inquiry. But it would be interesting to, I guess, hear what treatment is given uh, to what happened out at SARS, Tom Moyane and Bain and & Company, and, of course, the involvement of uh, the consulting company, Bain & Company, in uh, this particular matter. Let's shift away from that slightly and uh, uh, um, take a look at a very interesting sense announcement that came from the First Rand Group. 
Now, uh, they set out their climate change policy and it's said to have massive implications, Bandil, uh, for many yeah. of the people operating in the world of cold. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I think it, um, we had a conversation about fossil fuels um, a couple of weeks back, so it's interesting that this is also coming in now. You know, first in um, publishing uh, their climate change policy and then update and then updated energy and fossil fuel policy. And I mean, the the, the key thing that came through there is that uh, the group will no longer finance new coal-fired power stations, and uh, from 2026 will no longer provide direct project finance to new coal mines. I mean, I think that's that's huge, right? And it's going to have a major major impact uh, in, in in that industry, particularly for players that were looking uh, for for. for for potentially being new entrants, you know, so a huge one um, uh, coming in. There. I mean, I think they've, they've also stated that they're doing this on the back of the fact that um, there's, um, there's more availability of more cost-effective and environmentally friendly uh, alternative power sources, and that they'll be looking to invest more on this uh, in this particular angle. Part an interesting one coming in for investors, and it will be interesting to see whether or not it sets precedent um, for, for 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 other FIs to take this uh, route. Mm. I mean, it seems that this is the direction everybody's moving towards. Um, I don't know if it's been in Angola now a few weeks ago, uh, that protest at J.P. Morgan's operation. Yes, yes, yeah, I think Morgan. it's yeah, not in Angola now. Um, and I found that one very, very interesting because it does show that there's a, a general trend of much greater scrutiny and accountability on the funding decisions of many of the funders of capital projects uh, you know, in this particular space or in sectors that are hard to abate or trying to transition. Uh, to much cleaner forms, you know, of uh, operation and energy generation. Um, well, what are the implications of having this as a widespread consideration? Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this, this this particular one, I think, is uh, going to be interesting because there's also going to be some pressures. Uh, we're going to be touching on a story later on in our show today around the semiconductor and chip shortage uh, and the impact that that's having on the glo- global auto supply chain. Uh, but a lot of, I guess, the commitments of the likes of the EU and many others... Uh, to much greener forms of technology uh, will create a domino impact where we're going to have to respond to this. Um, and we also heard, you know, ESCOM coming out and saying, mm. uh, well, you know, electric vehicles will create massively new forms of demand for their p- primary product, which is electricity. Uh, and that might lead to the rebound of, of, of ESCOM. How do we separate, I guess, the... Because there's also, I guess, a big part of the spin in this, right? Uh, of saying, yeah, yeah, in Netherlands is our Enzek, and let's gear ourselves up. And then, of course, there's the reality of some of the barriers to adoption. How do we balance the two? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to, to actually maybe respond to that, I, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at China, right? You look at China and how they've sort of been responding to this tech thing in how they, they, they heavily regulating and being able to push back on certain things in order to one, protect um, uh, certain industries. Perhaps that's the approach that is going to be needed, right? That in as much as we need to obviously respond uh, from a global perspective, um, are we going to do it at a rate or in transition in a way that, um, we, you know, you know we, we manage that change, you know, because there's a lot of impact and there's a lot of implication, you know, so perhaps that's, that's the approach that needs to be considered, you know, but... Um, it's really going to be an interesting one in terms of how it develops because of just the widespread implications. You know, as you mentioned, ESCOM as well, probably looking at this one 
quite eagerly uh, because of the potential it has on increasing the electricity demand. That's mm-hmm. it, of course. It does translate to that. Um, that perhaps, you, you know, they, they didn't try to introduce the electricity, uh, electric car a couple of years back, but perhaps this, this trend towards um, and this commitment by, 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 by the global community will then uh, propel that to actually be a success. It, it will really be an interesting one and one that um, I think I'll personally be watching closely to see how it actually develops. Mm-hmm. But from a strategic perspective, uh, we've got an IRP in South Africa, which clearly indicates to us that coal is going to be with us for a while. Um, How strategic is this to say, you know, you're not going to fund it. And if others follow suit, nobody's going to fund it. I mean, who's going to fund all the projects that we need to come online in the grid? Of course, there might be, yes, marginal to the bigger other technologies, but um, we're still going to have coal right up until 2030 and maybe even beyond that. Yeah, which, which probably, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, as much as people are going to follow suit and certain FIs are also going to follow suit in this trend, you know, if the market is there, you know, there's also going to be that element of, you know, do you completely um, go the, 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 the clean uh, energy route or do you still reserve some, some, some funding for that? Or maybe at the very least, um, you still fund the, the, the existing players within that space and which... I mean, I think for me that would not be good news because you're basically closing off the market in a way. You know, so it's, it's, it's really going to be an interesting one. But I think if people, uh, organizations, if the market is there and there's the potential to fund and, 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 and there's, um, you know, spe- specific and uh, we can see the ROIs, um, perhaps not everyone will, will, will completely not fund it. You know, it's, it's really going to be interesting to, to see it play out because as you, as you mentioned, coal is going to be with us for a very long time. Um, and how we're going to be able to continue to fund those capital projects is going to be really interesting. I think it's a very interesting time for, for, for the FI space and how they, they, they respond to this is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. A last one before we let you go, uh, Bandile. Yeah, I mean, a few weeks ago on this show, we were running with a story of uh, the impact of uh, further outbreaks of COVID-19 to uh, global supply chains reliant on China. Uh, and it seems now critical export infrastructure in China dealt another blow this time not by COVID-19, by, but temporarily by a typhoon. Bandile. Yes, I'm, I'm here. Yeah? Yes, yes. So I'm saying, I mean, it was COVID a few weeks ago. Now it's a typhoon. Mm. What impact mm. is this going to have on many people who've just cleared their baskets and Balindeli Pasal Zabes Villa China? Hey, you know, you know, I, uh, this, is, this is one of those uh, more local and uh, looking at the region. But I think mm. this is going to have huge uh, impact, definitely. And um, but it, but it does seem that it's something that's going to be resolved quite quickly. But at the same time, I mean, I think it keeps highlighting that point that uh, we, 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 we're a bit maybe too reliant. Uh, on on one on one country when it comes to this, and perhaps there needs to be more thought around um, diversification and looking at um, uh, sort of localizing um, the uh, global chain, uh, global supply, uh, sort of um, localizing supply chain. Mm. You know, somebody was saying uh, that I guess for the l- longest part, I mean, even the emergence of global va- value chains, it was always about trying to get the cost advantages and the efficiencies mm. that come from you know producing. Um, in East Asia um, and many of the places that have now, you know, become, I guess, factories of the world. Uh, And it becomes clear now that it's not just about efficiency, but, you know, what happens to your global supply chain the moment a massive global-wide shock like COVID-19 happens? Uh, And if we accept that these are going to be recurring parts of our new reality, uh, then it's clear that resilience, you're going to have to keep in your back pocket at least some capability so that if you're hit by that shock, you at least uh, are able to weather that out. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... Mandile Matandela, Manbulele Mshakazwame is always a pleasure. Manbulele Kakulubu, and have a good show going forward. That there was Bandile Matandela speaking to us uh, this evening.